Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and you are listening to Keeping the Faith. On this podcast, you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. I was standing inside a hardware store when I first heard the news, and it was an odd place for me to be on a Tuesday morning maybe, but at the time... I was executive director of a local United Way organization, and it was the week of our annual uh, Cherokee Capital Fair. And we had a booth at the fair, and I was picking up some supplies to finish building our display. And as I paid for my little brown bag of nails and a piece of plywood, the news reporter on the radio made an odd announcement that a plane had crashed into the World Trade Center. I didn't think much of it at the time, not much more than a curiosity, and brushed it off. I got into my car and drove to the local radio station where I was working on a few audio spots for our upcoming fundraising community campaign, and it was there that I learned the true nature of what was going on that morning. With the owner and the staff of WEBS AM radio in my hometown, I watched the terrible events of September 11, 2001 unfold. They canceled all their local programming. They began to broadcast the feed from the national radio networks, and we huddled inside the offices horrified. I tore myself away from the television set a couple of times that morning to call Cindy. As panicked as the nation was, she and I had additional reasons to be concerned. We were scheduled to fly to Arizona later that week to be married at the north rim of the Grand Canyon. We never caught that flight. But we did get married that week anyway. Like most of you of a certain age, I remember exactly where I was yesterday, 20 years ago. And I say those of you of a certain age, not to pick on us who are old. But because 20 years is long enough for an entire generation to emerge previously unborn or too young to have a conscious memory of September 11th, 2001. All my children fall into that category. After 20 years now, more than 20% of the U.S. population falls into that category. A number that will grow exponentially over the years. But just because you weren't alive when a world-changing event took place doesn't mean it hasn't had impact on you. This past summer, I visited the USS Arizona, now a national cemetery, the final resting place For more than 1,100 U.S. Marines and sailors. She rests at the bottom of Pearl Harbor. Struck by the Japanese Air Force December 7th, 1941. I wouldn't be alive for another 30 years. But that didn't mean I wasn't moved to tears as I stood there on that memorial platform all these years later. And more so, it doesn't mean that I wasn't born into and haven't lived in a world, a post-World War II world, that has been largely shaped by the events of that morning, 80 years in our rearview window. And likewise, 
for the last 20 years up to this very moment, we have lived in the aftermath of that morning. From taking your shoes off at the airport to trillions and trillions of dollars spent on homeland security to the 7,000 U.S. servicemen and women who have died, the 400,000 civilians who have lost their lives in the last 20 years in the war on terror, with some estimates of the later casualties being more than double that. Indeed, September 11, 2001 was a world-changing event and not a good change. As we bore witness to murderous fundamentalism. And we have lived in the atmosphere and in the aftermath of violent religion. I'm happy to tell you that only a small percentage of Islam blesses the kind of reprehensible evil that flies airliners laden with jet fuel and innocents into skyscrapers. A small vicious sect known as Salafi or Wahhabism, is responsible for such acts. During our own American Revolution, way back in the 1770s, a radical and fiery Islamic preacher named Muhammad Ibn Abd al-Wabihi was leading his own revolution in Saudi Arabia, though the outside world knew nothing about him at the time. And most of us today have never heard of him. But we know his eventual followers, Osama bin Laden, ISIS, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, Hamas, and on and on it goes. But Islam is not the only religion to have been stained and strained by violence in the name of God. We are very much aware of their violence. We're sometimes blind to the history of our own. All those who ran the levers and mechanisms of the Holocaust were Christians. The collapse of the Balkans and the resulting wars in the 1990s involved the genocide of thousands upon thousands of Muslims at the hands of Christians. The conquistadors who obliterated indigenous American culture, the operators of slave ships and the men who bought and owned and died defending slavery, all the way back to those heroic crusaders of the Middle Ages, all were Christians and all killing In the name of their religion. You know, an an accusation leveled at religion repeatedly, and we've earned it, is that religion is responsible for more war and death than anything else. I don't know how many times I've had that conversation with someone over the years. And that accusation is close, but it's not quite on the mark. Because religion is used. It is a tool. Employed by the evil and ambitious intent of the human heart to achieve evil and ambitious ends. Religion is a lot like a pharmaceutical. In the right dose and with the right method, it can heal you. The wrong dose given in the wrong method can kill you. And likewise, the religion we bear and the faith we bear can empower us to heal the world or it can empower us to slash 
and burn the world to ashes. So let us remember that on this weekend of remembrance. And let us allow this remembrance to lead us to the words and the experience of the Apostle Paul. Paul was a religious zealot. And if you had met Saul of Tarsus, the Jewish name he was given at birth, Tarsus being the town from which he was from, if you had met him when he was a 30-year-old young buck, you would have thought you were dealing with a Taliban enforcer from the caves of Bora Bora. Where do we first meet Saul of Tarsus in the Scriptures? He is overseeing the execution of a Christian leader. And it is not a humane death. It is cruel and unusual punishment. Death by stoning. Throwing rocks at someone's skull and body until they have no life left. And Saul, who would become Paul, gloried in the gory of it all. He loved it. And do you know why? Because he was convinced that he was doing the work and will of God. And he went on to have this remarkable career. Arresting, persecuting, pursuing, killing, and jailing Christians. So in the days ahead when you hear reports of these hatchet men, these roaming, roaming crews of cutthroats who are shutting down schools and rounding up traitors and performing public executions and the like, remember that the single most important Christian to ever live began his religious career just like that. And you ask, well, what does this have to do with surrender? I thought we were trying something different with this series. I thought we were working on letting go. Well, if the ultimate goal of surrender is transformation, if the ultimate goal of surrender is peace and coming alive, don't you think Paul has something to teach us about this? Because a murderous religious enforcer ended up saying something like this instead. That if I have faith that could move mountains, But I do not love. I am nothing. If I have faith that I would give my body to be burned. That I would give everything away for the sake of the poor. If I did not love, it would mean nothing. The former enforcer is the same one who writes, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And for a man to come to that place in his life, after being at a radically different place, tells us that something has gone on extraordinary in this person, that he could give up the life he had to become that. Keeping the Faith is brought to you without ads or commercial interruption of any kind, except for this one invitation. I have friends who are inspired by what they hear from Keeping the Faith. 
and those friends support my work. But you can support this podcast as well by buying me a coffee. Buy Me a Coffee is a tiny little link where you can throw a few bucks into my tip jar and keep me busy behind the counter serving up the best episodes I have to offer. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash McBrayer and you can easily and securely donate to the cause. You can also go to my website, ronniemcbrayer.org, and click on Podcast. You will find several ways to lend a hand, and you can also choose your favorite listing platform, be it Apple, Podbean, or Spotify, so that you will never miss a single life-changing, day-making, death-defying episode. Thank you for being a regular listener. He tells us about it here in Galatians, and I I enjoyed Anna's introduction. You didn't get to see her introduction because she videotaped it and it it played to the online audience. But she told us that these words from Galatians chapter 2 are largely her story, her experience with religion. What she didn't say in that introduction is when I sent the reading to her this week, her first question was, is this autobiographical for you? Is this your story? And yes, it's my story too. It's the story of so many of us. We weren't out there killing in the name of religion. But boy, our religion sure was killing us. Can I get an amen? Paul says, I tried to keep all the religious rules I had been taught. Anybody grow up with that? And those I taught to others. Paul said, and we experienced. And then he says, but this rule keeping only succeeded in taking the life out of me. Have you noticed that rule keeping does that? It kills the spirit. It doesn't give you life. A friend of mine who has some experience with horses and rodeos, he's a genuine cowboy. He's the one that always tells me that there are only two kinds of music in the world. Country and Western. He sent me this little proverb, and Garrett's got it for you right here. It's pretty picturesque. Let go or be dragged. Now, I don't know if that came from an enlightened uh, Zen master sitting on the side of the mountain, or if that actually did come from a cowboy who for the tenth time was pulling cactus out of his rear end after being drugged out of the corral and across the desert. But it's true nonetheless. Let go or be dragged. I have a little experience with horses and can vouch that this is true. It takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of bridling, a lot of rope, a lot of patience to work with horses. And sometimes all that work... Well, sometimes you get a hold of something... It gets a hold of you. And the only way out is to let it go. Right? Think about the little dog that chases the bus every morning. What does he do when he catches it? He has to let it go. Have you ever seen a parent dragging a child away from the playground? Kicking and screaming And shoving them into the car. And we say before we had children. Well I would never do that if that was my kid. (laughs) Really? 
I'd like to go with Walmart to Walmart with you when they're three years old and see what happens. Let go or be dragged. Another picture. Do you know who this is? Felix. This is Felix the cat from 1931. Let me tell you what happened with Felix in 1931. The organizers of the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Day Parade, Felix had only been trotting down the road for a couple of years, and Goodyear had worked so hard on making Felix bigger and better than ever and keeping him inflated that they really didn't work too much on what to do with him after the parade was over. And you'll love this. Do you know who the handlers of these massive balloons were and still are to this day? Friends and family of the parade sponsors. So you give someone the controls over 10,000 cubic feet of helium on a cold winter day in New York City to walk among a million watching people and you have zero experience with such a thing, what could go wrong? Go Google it for yourself at how many accidents there have been with balloons at the Macy's Day Parade. The television always has a way of cutting away before someone gets throttled. Well, Felix, they get him to the end of 34th Street and they don't know what to do with him. And so some people just start letting go of their controls. Until finally there's only one guy left. And it is dragging him, dragging him down 34th Street. And finally he has to let Felix fly away into the sun. But he didn't really make it to the sun. He bumped into the Empire State Building for just a minute. Snagged the wing of an airplane that was watching. And then died somewhere in the electric lines in New Jersey. Better Felix than the guy that was holding on. What would that guy tell you today about the stuff in your life that you're holding on to, be it the pain that you've experienced, the religion that has damaged you or has hurt you, the things in your life that you can't do anything about? He would tell you, let go or it's going to hurt you. Fighting is good for something. Having a strong grip and perseverance is a good thing. But there comes a point where you better let go or it's going to hurt you. And Paul tells us, speaking as one with, with true credibility, thank God for in coming to the end of myself, I have truly discovered the divine way to live. Now, this is huge. What does he come to the end of? Does he come to the end of religion? No. Because religion's been doing what religion's been doing for millennia. Does he come to the end of those people? You know who those people are, right? Those people. No, because those people really don't care what you think about them. Does he come to the end of the world and it's the way that it just steps on your heart and sucks the life out of your soul? No, because the world has been going on since the world arrived. Paul comes to the end of himself. That's how you find a different way to live. It's always about your ego, always. 
That's what has to die or at least take a back seat. Bad religion, unhealthy, toxic forms of Christianity, they pull our egos in and convince us that we are right. Right about about how we see the world, right about God, right about everything. The power of today's politics is not about argument or ideas. It's about ego attachment. I commit myself to this particular party or this particular path or this particular person and then there's no way to step down from it. Because now I am attached to it. The reason that people won't seek help when they really need it for a health problem, a relationship problem, or an addiction is because the ego is standing in the way. I can handle it myself. The reason we keep holding on to certain situations, certain people, certain dreamed up magical outcomes is that our egos will not let us admit failure. So we'll go down with the ship. We'll hang on until we are bludgeoned and bloody and being dragged all over the world. And I know this is anathema to most of our ears. It's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I hate, hate, hate this myself. But if you don't come to the end of yourself, you're not going to find a better, freer, healthier way to live and be in the world. So long as you dig in and hold on and square your jaw and grit your teeth, be it about your religious beliefs, your uncompromising view of the world, your expectations of how things ought to be, the impossible standards that you impose, you will only become a further calcified version of the current you. And you will never experience a breath of fresh air or that truly divine way to live. There's so much more in the text, and I will get to it next week. But as you may have noticed, I haven't been in a hurry with this series of talks. And you know why? It's not because I think, boy, these people really need to hear this. And they haven't got it yet, so I'm just going to keep saying it over and over again. That's not it. Although, well, maybe a little bit of that. The reason I'm taking my time with this is, I'm, I'm working on this too. You know, when the, when the Virgin Mary was visited by the angel and was told that she would have the responsibility of birthing and rearing the Messiah, her answer was, may it be done unto me, as you say. Sometimes in life you do things. But hell, sometimes in life it's what's done unto you. Right? Things you got no control over. And for me in these months, it, 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 it has been my health. I mean, that's enough. Believe me, I feel like I toddle around like a, my grandfather did at 90. I take a fistful of supplements and pills every day. I'm, I'm, I'm sucking on inhalers and taking breathing treatments like a chain smoker. I feel old. I've never felt old. I feel weak. I feel incapable. Just a few years ago, all my children were young and at home, and we had extra kids living with us. The church was busy and growing. I traveled at the drop of a hat, wrote a syndicated column, thousands of outlets every week, and could put out two books a year. And now, if I can tie my shoes in the morning, sometimes I feel like it's a good day. 
And it's not just that. And I won't get into the gory details of it all, but it's, it's also my oldest son and the pain he has inflicted upon himself. And I can tell you over the last year of my life, I've never, I haven't hurt like this in 25 years. I've never hurt like this. And to suffer is to be human. We know that, don't we? And we can handle it for the most part. But to be powerless. To have your best efforts turn back against you. To be unable to fix something. When you're a fixer by nature. To be left with only what feels like losing. Well, that's let go or be dragged. (laughs) There's a place in a battle when a soldier knows he's whipped. There's a place in a fight where the opponent knows I'm not going to win. And when you accept that you've been beaten, the beating can stop, (laughs) right? And it's hard to do. But what does Paul tell us? I tried. Yet this trying has only succeeded in taking the life out of me. But thank God for in coming to the end of myself. I have discovered a truly divine way to live. You have been listening to Keeping the Faith, the podcast home of yours truly, Ronnie McBrayer. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, whatever your socialization preference may be. At Ronnie McBrayer will get you there in either case. Visit my website at ronniemcbrayer.org, and there you can stay up to date. On my speaking schedule, books I have written, projects just over the widening horizon, and yes, you can find out more about me than anyone truly wishes to know. Thanks to Shutterstock Incorporated, located in New York City's Empire State Building, no less, for producing and licensing my theme music. Bobby Rains provides recording and technical expertise. Tim Riles created the Keeping the Faith logo and artwork. And Lynn Sunshine on My Shoulder Crow is credited with any and all photography. And as always... Toby and Mo, the two small wonder dogs that run my home, assisted with all editing. I'm Ronnie McBrayer. This has been Keeping the Faith, and I thank you for listening. <laughs>